Hey everyone, welcome to Mommy's Crime Time. It's Jenny, and the case that we're going to talk about today is the case of six-year-old Faye Sweatlick. This case has been in the news for the past week. Everyone has been talking about it, and we were all hoping for a great outcome. We were hoping that Faye would be returned to her family safe and unharmed, but unfortunately, this is not the case. Faye went to school on Monday, February 10th, just as it was any other day. She got off the bus around 2.50. Her mom met her at the bus stop. They walked back to their apartment on Londonderry Lane. She had a snack and then she wanted to go outside and play. This wasn't unusual for Faye, just as most kids, she enjoyed playing outside. Her mother last saw her around 3.45 p.m. When she went inside, she realized that she didn't know where Faye was. So she called, they looked for her, and then she called law enforcement around 5 p.m. to report her daughter missing. There was an enormous search for Faye, but the police stated from the very beginning that they did not believe that Faye was abducted. They thought she had just wandered off. Maybe she was in the woods harmed. Something, you know, had happened to her, but they really believed that she was somewhere located in the Churchill Heights subdivision that she lived in. They searched this neighborhood extensively. They did ground searches, they did grid searching, they had helicopters, they had canines, they had hundreds of officers from over 20 different departments, they had SLED, they also had the FBI there. They thoroughly searched the woods and up to the one mile radius around the home. They went to every neighbor, every home inside of this neighborhood and spoke with people and many homes were searched but there was still no sign of Faye. On the 13th, the first press conference was around 1145 and they let us know that they were not going to expand their search radius much beyond what they had searched the day before, but they did plan on going to the landfill. They were also going to intercept the trash trucks in the neighborhood as it was trash day and go through all of the trash and dumpsters in the neighborhood. By 1 p.m., somewhere in there, they announced they would be having another press conference. Just before 2 p.m., the press conference began, and we were all told the heartbreaking news that they had found the body of Faye Sweatlick. The issue with this was her body had been located in a small wooded area, very, very close to her home that had been searched, right next to where the command center had been. How did they find Faye? Well, while searching the trash, they happened to come across an item that they said was a critical piece of evidence. They have not released what this critical piece of evidence is, but they did say it was one of the items that were on the flyer for Faye missing. This leads us to believe it was one or both of her boots, her rain boots, her flower skirt, or her black shirt with peace on it in neon letters. The trash that they found this in was associated with 602 Piccadilly Square, also inside of the Churchill Heights neighborhood. They went to the home and they have not told us how they discovered that there was a deceased male at the home. They haven't said where. I do know that I've read on different media outlets that they've said in the home, but at the press conference, he said it at the residence. Who found him? There's been speculation a roommate found him. This male, was not identified at the time. The next day, they let us know that they were gonna release the name of the person who had been found dead 
in this 602 Piccadilly Square home. This was less than 500 feet from Faye's residence. This man's name was Cody Scott Taylor, a 30-year-old white male. Now, did Faye know him? Was he related to him? No. They say that he was not a relative, nor was he a friend of Faye's family or Faye. Are these two deaths connected? The police say they are, but they won't say how. Now, there's a lot of speculation of, you know, did he kidnap Faye and then he felt guilty or he saw that they were searching the trash or he knew he was going to get caught, so he killed himself? We don't know because his cause of death has still not been released. There will be a press conference coming up in a couple of days that they will let us know not only his cause of death, but also the cause of death of Faye Swedlick. This case is so sad because many of us did believe the parents were involved. Many of us thought that it was awkward that there was no media presence from them. I'm one of those. I didn't understand why her mom was not pleading for her to come home. I didn't understand why in interviews her grandmother didn't want her face shown. And still to this point, I've not heard from her mother. I've not heard any cry, you know, for help while she was missing or, you know, any type of grief stricken, you know, report since then. But as I said before, many times people handle grief in different ways. Maybe they're private people, not sure why they haven't talked about it. Maybe it's too hard to talk about. But the important thing to know is that while, the while they were canvassing this neighborhood and going door to door, they did speak with this man. Cody Scott was talked to by the investigators and they did go inside of his home. So where was Faye? If they searched his home, of course, they're not going to go through every item in your home, but there were reports from other people in the neighborhood that they checked inside their freezers and other locations that where you could hide a body. The coroner did state that Faye's body had not been in this location long. The location where she was found was actually basically the backyard of Cody Scott Taylor. So did he just carry her out there and leave her? Her body was found just before his. Did he act alone? Did he really have a roommate? Was his roommate involved? None of this has been confirmed. I've not even had a news outlet confirm a roommate, although I have read on several social media outlets that he did have a roommate. I took it upon myself to do my best to find out every possible thing that I could about Cody Scott Taylor. And it has not been an easy case. There's not much about him online. I have gone through every kind of background search as well as many other reporters have tried. We do know that he's 30 and that he was born in March of 1989. He was a graduate of Bluffton High School in 2007. I graduated in 2006. I'm 32. He's only 30. Maybe he'd be 31 this year, but still, I guess that would make sense. Again, he was not a relative or friend of Faye's family. They were very, very... They, they wanted to point out the fact he was only a neighbor. They said there were no pending arrests. There were no persons of interest. This leads me to believe that they do think that he is the perpetrator who took Faye from her home. But I have searched social media. I've gone through friends of his from high school at Bluffton High. And all I have saw in regards to him is that he was a nice guy. He was a little awkward, but he would never do something like this. It would be out of character for him. They couldn't believe it. But we also have to look at other cases, such as Ted Bundy. No one thought Ted Bundy was the person that he was. So maybe this guy was either a really good actor. Maybe he had a dark side we didn't know about. 
I'm hoping that all of this does come out in the next few days when we get the autopsy results. After high school, he did enroll at the University of South Carolina Beaufort in 2007. Then he transferred to the University of South Carolina Columbia in 2008, but ultimately withdrew in 2009. He had been pursuing a math major. The FBI says he did work at Jimmy John's. This is what it says on his Facebook, but he's not been employed there since 2015. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Back to the Faye Sweatlet case and the deceased male who was found at 602 Piccadilly Square, Cody Scott Taylor. The FBI, as I said, said he did not work at Jimmy John's, but I have found on social media and other outlets that he was a general manager at a wing stop in Columbia, South Carolina. Again, I can't confirm this. It's only what I have read. There's also speculation that he was in the Pray for Faye group on Facebook. I've seen people deny this. I've seen it say it was true. I've seen screenshots. I can't clarify it. But if so, this means he was actually watching what everyone was saying and watching this case unfold. He had no criminal history. He was not known to the police. There was a traffic violation found in Lexington County from February of 2018 for failure to dim his headlights. And he also had a couple traffic violations in Richland County in 2013 and 15, but no criminal activity. This is strange. Typically you would see some sort of criminal history, but we do know that when serial killers or, you know, rapists are profiled, typically they start out as a peep and Tom. I would be curious to find out if he had ever been accused of something like this. The way it normally would start would be he'd be a peep and Tom. First he would fantasize about it. Then he would become a peep and Tom. After that, he would start fantasizing about the actual abduction or rape of a child. He may even attempt it a couple times until he finally goes through with it. Was this him? I don't know. Would this be something that he fantasized about? Again, there's not much known about him that I can find that says that he was this kind of person. But again, we never really know anyone. That is one thing we definitely learn from the Chris Watts case. Chris Watts was described as being like a great person, helpful, always kind, never angry. No one ever thought he would do something like this. So if it comes out that Cody Scott Taylor was the person who abducted and killed Faye Swetlick, then he would also be another one, just like Chris Watts, who did not fit the profile. Now, he did have an outstanding academic record in high school. There were no disciplinary issues, and he was an honor student. So he was intelligent. He graduated in the top 10% of his class. So as I said, he was a very intelligent young man who obviously was going to college. Not sure why he dropped out. Not sure why he didn't pursue you know, his degree. I have been able to go through and find old addresses for him. I have been able to try to piece together his family tree. I don't want to put names out there. I don't want to put people's names out that would bring them into the media. I don't want people to end up hurt from this case because I'm sure they're hurt enough if you know it was their child that did this. I don't want to put them through anymore because this is something that would be extremely hard to accept if it was your child or grandchild or cousin that did something like this. I have noticed that he has a pretty extensive address history but a lot of the times it does appear that he was living with family until about 2009 possibly 2010. 
His current address was not the Piccadilly Square address. I tried my best to research that location and it appears that the last time it was on the market, according to one of the websites, was last year. But I'm not certain of this. How long did he live there? What did other neighbors think of him? I'm curious to find these things out. Right now, everything's being kept kind of hush-hush. They don't want to talk too much about it until they get more information. And I'm fully on board with that because we don't know if Cody Taylor was the perpetrator. Yes, it does appear that way. But how hard is it to take an item from this child, put it in his trash, and murder him? You would frame him perfectly for the crime. Again, that is why cause of death is important. If he was murdered as well, then obviously there must be a third party. If it was a suicide, then it would definitely look more like he was the one who abducted and killed her. How did he get her out of his home and into the woods? Her body was found directly behind his home and adjacent to the back of a Napa Auto Parts store. Again, this is a small wooded area. It's not large. It's not heavily wooded. You could see through it pretty well. And this is where they had had a command center set up. So I'm curious as to how he got her body, if she was in his home, into this wooded area without being seen by the enormous presence of law enforcement. This neighborhood had been shut down. You were not allowed in or out unless you were a resident. They had checkpoints set up. On the day that Faye's body was found, the neighborhood was completely locked down. Even if you were a resident, you were not able to return to your home if you were outside of the neighborhood. There have been pictures since this has happened, since he has been found, of them inside the apartment. There was a fire truck in front of the front door. There was a lot of speculation about that. I'm curious if the fire truck was there to kind of hide the front door and evidence being taken out, what evidence was taken out. But the biggest thing that I'm curious about right now in this entire situation is, who is Cody Scott Taylor? Did he have a roommate? Where was his roommate? Was his roommate involved? But the police say there's no one of a, no one that they are interested in. There's no pending arrest. There's no, there's no person of interest. So it leads me to believe, as I've said since the very beginning of this case, they know more than we do and we have to let them do their job. But the autopsies were supposed to have been released on February 15th, which was yesterday. But they said, in respect for her family, they were going to wait until Tuesday to release this information. This time just leaves more time for speculation, more time for people to say this, that, it could have been this person, or I think somebody framed him. But if we had these answers, we could put it to rest. I wish that we were at least able to get his autopsy results and cause of death. Maybe that would put some of this to rest. But until we know, it's going to be nothing but speculation. After her autopsy was performed in Lexington County yesterday, or in Charleston actually, the Charleston Police Department gave her a full police escort back to Lexington County, to the funeral home. This was an amazing display of respect for her, respect for her family. It was the right way to bring her home. I felt it was very, very, very tasteful. It was so sweet. It would be the perfect coming home for a child who had been through whatever she's been through that we still don't know. I feel like there will be more information to come out in this. I hope that if he was the perpetrator, you know, we will find that out for sure and there'll be no more room for speculation. 
As I said, I've done my best to find out what I can about him, but there's just not much out there. I don't know if they have, you know, like the, the FBI has really, you know, kind of locked down a lot of information about him because they don't want to get out until they release more information. I have not seen any family speak out yet. I'm also looking for that. As I said, I'm not going to say names, although I figured out who his mother is, his aunts, things like that. I'm not going to say names. I do ask you to pray for his family, not only Faye's, because this family is also mourning the loss of their child. And please remember pray to pray for Faye's family because this is an unimaginable crime of a poor little six-year-old child who did nothing wrong but play in her front yard. A lot of people have bashed the mom saying, oh, well, she should have been watching her child. She played in the front yard all the time. The kids in this neighborhood walked to school. It was not uncommon for kids to play outside. It's not uncommon for my children to play outside. Do I watch them every moment? No. Should I? Obviously. Maybe this case will bring to light that we should pay more attention. Even if your kids are in your front yard and they, as in my kids, they know where to go, where not to go. We don't live in a busy area or neighborhood. We're more of a rural area. My kids are older, but they know that they can't go here, can't go there. And I do watch them out the windows if they're outside alone, but we need to pay more attention to our kids, but we cannot bash this mother for this happening. You could lose your child in a split second. Someone could snatch them in a split second. You never know when someone's watching, had he been watching Faye, had he planned this, if he was a pedophile, if this was his MO, then definitely he would have fantasized about this. He would have picked a child. He would have planned this out extensively. This has been proven in cases such as the BTK killer, where they will write down what they want to do and fantasize over it, make these, you know, save things that they want to keep from the crime to remember it. Now, if this is him, then his death will stop this from escalating. There being more children dead. Is this the only child that he is guilty of kidnapping? And is he even guilty? I hope that in the coming days we'll find out more and we can piece this together and put this case to rest at knowing that the bright person is gone and that the child is, you know, in heaven. Because I, I thoroughly believe that, you know, she is in heaven right now. Again, I just ask that you pray for him. As soon as there are more updates, as soon as we find out more about this case, I will definitely update everyone. There are several news channels you can look into. Again, this case happened in Casey, South Carolina. She went missing on February 10th, and she was discovered on February 13th. Keep an eye out. Listen for it. Feel free to send me a message or anything. If you hear anything or if there's anything that I've left out that you feel like is very important, I try to do like a quick overview of the case and what was going on. I want to thank you for listening to Mommy's Crime Time. And have a great night.